Hey everyone, welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane. I am your host, and uh, uh, I got to ask a question. Land acknowledgments, real popular. People are doing them more and more. Beginning of almost, you know, any social event it can happen anywhere. But who are they for? I mean, are they for us? I gotta, I gotta look. We gotta talk about it. Because here's the problem. Look, I've actually even helped write a few. So a few of these, you know, I've had people ask me, hey, would you help me uh, craft a land acknowledgement for this place or that place? You know, sometimes it was Mohawk land, but not always. Um, and, and, and I did. I, I did help craft it. And I, and I tried to be not only diplomatic. Um, I, I didn't try to be too appeasing. But they just, they, they fall flat. And, and I had a difficult time with it because I'm not sure what their purpose is. I mean, is it to make white people and others, you know, feel better about the fact that we've been run off of land? Because to a certain extent, it, it kind of rubs our face in it. I mean, if you're doing a land acknowledgement in New York City and there's virtually no native people indigenous to that land residing there anymore? How is bringing it up in the context of a, you know, some other non-native social gathering or political gathering that may have invited native people? I don't know. But, but what does that do? I mean, if you're going to acknowledge that we used to live in a place, but not explain where we went or why we went, or what is the... Uh, what recourse we have about having been displaced, then is acknowledging that we once lived, look, it was all native land. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we were the only people who lived here before white people showed up and before black people were dragged in chains here. That was it. There was, there was us. And we were diverse. We, we, we represented possibly thousands of different distinct native cultures. You know, some with some relations and, and, and some with commonalities in language and, and you know, and again, culture, uh, ceremonies, um, lifestyles, but some really, really different, really distinct. Some had greater principles associated with, uh, with where sovereignty, if you want to use that word, it was vested, whether it was it a rule by a chief. Yeah, some people had that. But for the most part, most of the people that I'm associated with, we, we had a culture that were in, where the people were empowered. There wasn't this idea that somebody was placed in a position of authority over others. But I mean, that's how, how diverse our, our, our populations were. So, and then when we do a land acknowledgement, the problem is, what are we acknowledging? We're acknowledging that who lived there. And if we're going to say who, we also got to ask the question when, because our our populations changed. I mean, our, our migratory patterns, who settled in an area. I mean, I, there's almost no place that you could, you could pick on the map and say, only Seneca's lived here, or only Mohawks lived here, or only Apache, or only uh, Ojibwe, or, or Lakota. I mean, the, who was actually, uh, you know, inhabiting those places changed. And it, and it changed based on our own, somewhat migratory patterns. It's not, it's not that we weren't a people who established permanent villages. We certainly were. But our populations changed. And of course, we, we too, we had conflicts. So we pushed, you know, people out of areas and other people came in and that kind of stuff. So the problem with a land acknowledgement, it's, it's not unlike the whole mascot thing. Yeah, wh white people do it and then they claim, oh yeah, we're doing it to honor Native people. But what you do is you're, you, you're capturing a timestamp and you're saying that such and such a people once occupied this land. Well, that could be a full, like I said, that could be a full range of people who occupied a certain uh, you know, parcel of land. And, and occupied means they lived there. Native people didn't have the same sense of owning land as a commodity the way Europeans did. I mean, we, we had a different view of it. I mean, we, we felt more as if the land owned us, then we owned it. And to the extent that we, we look, viewed the land as, as part of our being, 
we always viewed the land as something that was for the future generations. It, it wasn't ours. We didn't keep it. We didn't own it. It was owned by the future. And, and not just by the future of man. I mean, so when we talk about seven generations, we're, all, we're really talking about the future. Not just future of people, but the, but the, but the future. So we had a, a, a much different concept. So when we do land acknowledgement today, and it's always framed, and, and again, this is mostly a white people thing. Let's, let's be honest here. I'm not saying that, that there aren't people of color who do land acknowledgements, but it's mostly a white people thing. And, and it, it does have a connection to white privilege. You know, for, for a white person to stand up on a podium and then, you know, say with pride that they're somehow doing this honorable thing by acknowledging that Native people once lived there and don't anymore. I mean, it, 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 again, it feels a little bit like our faces are getting rubbed in it. So, and, and I've talked about this on other shows, so I'm going to talk about it again. The question ends up being, is, is just, are words enough? I mean, to make it a land acknowledgement and, you know, to, to just throw those words out there and then get through it and then get on with your program. It's kind of like the prayer that nobody listens to or the benediction or whatever else, you know, people, people want to call it. I mean, we have a thing called, we, we call and, and you know, and I know people who do it in the language and the vast majority of people who hear the the words before all else have no idea what's being said. And, and a lot of the translations of the have been twisted so they sound more like a prayer than an acknowledgement of our relationship with creation. And, you know, so again, these things, get, these things get done at the beginning of a program, and I'm not sure how well they resonate or what meaning they really have. So what I'm suggesting, if you, if you are serious about wanting to do something with acknowledgement, then you have to not only acknowledge that we weren't once there, but you have to acknowledge that the space that you're in, some of that space and that space may be land, maybe a footprint, might be airtime, might be a, a theater stage, column inches. That some of that space should be given back. And that we should have some of that space. We should have the right to occupy spaces that we've been denied. So it's not enough. I mean, look, if you're going to do an Atlantic acknowledgement, that, that's not reparations. That's not reconciliation. That doesn't solve anything. And, and so if, if the idea of doing the acknowledgement somehow appeases white guilt, then that's worse. Because I don't want people to, to feel like, okay, well, I, I, say, I said these words and now it's all better. It's like saying I'm sorry and not meaning it. So there has to be more than just a conversation. There has to be action. So when, when I say, what about space? Look, I've talked about land back and that land back is a move for us to re recover land. I've talked about, as it relates to um, residential schools, boarding schools, that we can't just talk about reconciliation, trying to reconcile the wrongs that were committed to individuals. We got to address the fact that genocide was committed against a vast number of peoples. And that during that genocide, we experienced land loss, population loss, and the loss of autonomy. Now, I'm not asking you to give us our population back, although your, your 2020 census suggests that a whole lot of white people are claiming to be uh, Native Amer American these days. No, I don't need you to bolster our, our population. We'll take care of that ourselves. But I think there should be some land restoration. So there should be some land back. But more importantly, our autonomy. Because if you're going to, you know, put us on a parcel of land and then tell us what we can and can't do on it, well, that's, that doesn't do us any good. I mean, and we see some of that happening. We see this idea, oh, yeah, such and such got, nation got land returned to them. Did they? Did they? Really? Is it theirs? Or is it being held for the use and enjoyment of Native people by the federal government or some land trust or some name, some national monument or park? Our autonomy, our distinction, our sovereignty is something that, that people still wrestle with. They, they, you know, so even when, we're, when, when people do a land acknowledgement, 
even if they say words about respecting us and, and you know, acknowledging our autonomy, do they? Do you? I mean, if you're asking us to vote in your election, you're sure as hell not. If you're asking us to, to be thrilled that Deb Haaland got, a, got an appointment as a cabinet member, that's not acknowledging our distinction. That, that's actually part of the assimilation program. And if you think addressing residential schools slash boarding schools is just about looking at the, the, the crimes committed against individual children and then paying off the survivors of residential schools, well, then what you're doing is you're acknowledging that the overall plan of forced assimilation was fine. But, you know, we, we got to address the fact that people might have been hurt along with people. Individuals might have been hurt along with. Well, I'll tell you, nations were hurt. Our population experienced, we experienced the largest period of land loss, population loss, and autonomy loss of any other period of our history or of American history during the residential school era. So, I think it's great that, that, that something has crept into the minds of the predominantly white population that says th there has to be some sort of acknowledgement about the fact that, you know, our existence has hinged upon the fact that we took this land from somebody else. But if you're only going to say that and then offer nothing back, if there's no, uh, I mean, if there's no penance, if there's no contrition, if there's no reconciliation or restoration, then are you really doing anything? I mean, are you? This isn't like going and sitting in a confessional and then saying three Hail Marys and your sins are forgiven. We're still being impacted by the fact that we've lost our land and our autonomy and our space. Look, it was illegal for us to practice our culture. It was unlawful. But even beyond being unlawful, you had 150 years where you were beating our children for speaking our language. <laughs> and then turn around and take our language and some of our men and you militarize it for code talking in your, in, in, as a part of your war machine. And then you're going to honor us by, oh, yeah, those brave code talkers. They wasn't about brave code talkers. They, they were driven into that. And you didn't respect our language. In fact, you tried to kill our language. In fact, the more people who didn't speak our language, the more valuable that code was. As long as you had enough, as long as you had code talkers, you didn't want any vast population knowing that language because that would undermine the secrecy of your code. Look, I, I hear a lot of conversations about wh how white people honor Native people. That's where this whole mascot debate ends up coming. The first thing that comes out of a white person's mouth is, well, what's wrong with honoring Native people by, calling, by, by using them for mascots? You can't even explain it to white people. And, and then if you say, yeah, but you're white. Then, oh, see, there you go, playing the race card. You're using a, a distinct people, a marginalized people, for your amusement and entertainment. I mean, as I'm doing this show, <laughs> my old high school, <laughs> yeah, I went to a public school, and I've talked about Cambridge and their fight to keep their mascot. That, that school board is likely voting right now to, to continue the fight, to appeal their loss in court to keep the name. They're going to, I mean, they still keep spinning the wheels. I mean, this... This town of white people are so dug in with playing Indian. And, and you can't explain to them. If you, if they, when you explain to them, look, we're not honored by it. This is all, well, then we're not going to pay attention. In fact, they'll dishonor you for not being feeling honored. You'll be insulted. And trust me, I've, I've gotten, I mix it up with these folks. I don't, I don't hold back. If some white boy says, I'm a... Cambridge Indian forever. No, you're not. You're a white boy playing Indian. And if that's insulting, well, <laughs> I find it pretty damn insulting that today, and I, I posted a meme along, along these lines, today as more and more numbers are coming in about these hidden graves 
and, and really, it's, it's about covering up a crime. I mean, we knew that, that Native children were buried at all these residential schools. But as those numbers come in, and, and like over 10,000 on the Canadian side alone, the numbers haven't even really been tallied on the U.S. side. Although Jeb Hallen says, yeah, we've, we think there's, we, we've documented 500. 500? Try 50,000. Deb Hallen, are you that disconnected from what happened at residential schools that you dare throw a number like 500? I wouldn't even mention 500. Maybe at one school. And there were 350, almost 400 of these things. But even as these, these numbers are rolling in, you would think that schools that had their children playing Indian, at the same time, Native kids were being beaten for being Native people, that would be enough to, for schools to say, nah, we got, we got to stop this. Yeah, that's, it, it, I, I get it now. I get it. That's unacceptable. But you know what? Listening to land acknowledgments while we are fighting over 100 schools in New York State alone, thousands across the, uh, uh, you know, as many as 2,000 schools across the United States, High school still using native imagery, our identity that was being denied for, from us, they capture it. They keep it. And they, I mean, look, white boy after white boy, white girl after white girl saying, oh, I'm going to be an Indian forever. I mean, that's not even addressing the fact that the, 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 the word is wrong. But I mean, and it's not just that. It's redskin, it's warrior, it's savage, it's, it's brave, it's chief, it's. You know, uh, and every name, you know, every tribal name, you know, you can imagine has been used for, for these mascots. And every image, everything from buffoonish cartoon caricatures to, I mean, Cambridge has, has, has an Eastern Woodlands profile in whiteface. It's white. I, why should that surprise me? They're all white, too. Their logo is a white-faced, a white-faced Indian. But yeah, this is this is the mockery that gets made of us. So, I, I again, I struggle with this idea of land acknowledgement. I struggle with this idea that somehow somebody's guilt is being sued by doing these. I want space. I want space for our words, for our, for our images, not the images that you pick from. It's not some two-dimensional drawing that some, you know, that, that 20 schools use for a mascot. No, I want a space for us to express ourselves visually, verbally, however, you know, in, in, in written word, and, and not the same Native people that get plucked from, you know, Hollywood or whatever else. They aren't necessarily the activist folks. I mean, let's face it. Many of the Native people who get, who get elevated up, for one thing, they're probably married to a white person. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with marrying white people. <laughs> I know plenty of people have done it <laughs> of all different colors. But... We get into this, the, in this debate about, well, who's a real Indian? I mean, I, I, this is the debate I had back in my old hometown, Cambridge. Uh, so, well, we've got real Indians who live here. Well, what the hell does that mean? And for one thing, if you live in a town that has 98% white people, you're probably not living your culture there. And for whatever reason, you decide that you don't want to live amongst Native people. And, and look, there's some good reason not to. Living as a Native person on Native land is not full of all these benefits that people think, think that it is. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing in my life as far as where I live. I wouldn't. I mean, unless, of course, I got more involved in taking land back and starting new communities. That, that, that might change it. But, uh, but no, I, I, I have no complaints about where I live. I'm, I'm grateful that the Seneca Nation embraces me. The people here on the Seneca Territory embrace me. I'm Mohawk. I live in Seneca Territory. But if, if, if you've left the culture, 
And I understand there, there are good reasons to do it. I mean, some good. I mean, I, I, not reason that I would do it. I mean, you, you might left for job opportunities. Maybe theater and acting. You know, you're not going to, you know, music. You're not going to have that success if you stay living on a native territory. You got to go to Nashville. You got to go to Los Angeles. You got to go to the West Coast. You got to go to the East Coast. You got to go to New York. If you're going to be a doctor, yeah, you're going to want to pay your student loans back. You're probably not going to make enough money coming out of the clinic, uh, your Indian Health Service clinics to pay that back. So maybe you do have to work in the city for a while. I don't know. I don't know. I know, for like, you know, people say this about, frankly, any rundown town, white, black, native. The success is measured by leaving. See, and I, I don't agree with that. I think success is bettering yourself whatever that means, and that could mean a variety of things, but taking your education, again, whatever that is, and improving the community that you came from. I mean, look, (laughs) there are holidays and festivals all year long honoring European European cultures. St. Patrick's Day, Columbus Day, I mean... uh, Frankly, all of the, all the Christian holidays, the, and and they're they're acknowledging these various forms of culture, and, and, the, and the Christian holidays all have their own. Um, here here out in the Buffalo area, they have Dingus Day. That's a I think it's a Polish thing. I mean, Dingus Day, something about hitting each other with pussy willows. I'm not trying to minimize it. I don't fully understand it, but I know it's related to the Easter Easter time, I guess. So, I mean, but there are all these things that, that, you know, that Americans cling to from a country that they bailed on. Look, if you love your culture so much, why don't you stay there and practice it? And I know, I know it sounds, it sounds like the same thing that, that people always say, why don't you go back where you came from? Well, we get told that. Native people get told that by white people. I just was watching a video just a little while ago, you know, about a guy, you know, taking on a Karen, as they say. She told him, why don't you go back where you, where you came from? And, and, of course, that is a racist thing to say, especially if you're a white person, because you want to maintain that white privilege you brought here and then, then use that white privilege as a weapon against anybody who's different than you. And, and, and that's what we say. But I mean, again, think, think about American society that embraces all of this European culture that, Ameri- that, that Americans at some stage in their ancestry bailed on. They abandoned the country, the culture, the fa- their families, and they came for free land. Why was it free? Because you were taking it from us. And now you want to do a land acknowledgement. This is what's problematic about this, folks. So am I saying don't do land acknowledgements? No, I'm not. I mean, <laughs> but let's be honest. You're doing it to make you feel good, not to make us, uh, not to do anything for us. I mean, we're, usually we're not consulted. Like I said, I've been asked a few times from, from their various people to help writing or drafting or crafting a, a land acknowledgement. And it's an awkward thing to do because oftentimes I'm crafting it for a place that I don't necessarily have a space. I mean, I may have at one time, but I don't have a space. So what I'm saying is if you're going to, if you're going, if you feel compelled to do a land acknowledgement, then do something more or don't do it at all. Don't pretend that you have some empathy or sympathy for native people who lost their lands if you're not willing to do anything to give a space back. And look, there are plenty of places that could carve out space for us. Yeah, it's it's sometimes hard for us to get on the radio. Look, I'm fortunate that I have this program. But I would be doing this if I wasn't on the radio. And the fact that WBAI, although I'm preempted again this week, <laughs> um, and WPFW allow me the space, and, and I am appreciative of both stations for giving me the space. But it's not a space that's available. I mean, there's not many other spaces. I mean, I was having 
great conversation with a local NPR station out here in the Buffalo area. And then the murder takes place on May 14th. And now I can't get the time of day from, uh, from WBFO. No, I mean, it's like they're, all their conversation about racism just wiped us right off of the, out of the conversation. I, mean, we're, we're, we're compl- I, I, sent e- I haven't even gotten a response back from the people that I've been talking to. And look, I've sent information to other, you know, other media outlets, newspapers, radio stations. And I'm not the only one. I figure if I'm doing it, there's got to be other people doing it as well. But we're not given those spaces. But you, I guarantee if you look for, for a Native person in the media, you're going to see the same person that has been there over and over and over again. These iconic images that basically seem pretty appeasing to, uh, you know, to American culture, to, to white people. And why? Because that's how you secure, secure that spot. I mean, Deb Haaland didn't get appointed as the interior secretary because she was a strong native voice. Come on. She didn't. She got appointed because she has been a strong democratic voice. She's been a one of, you know, part of that, that system in New Mexico. She, she was a, a democratic voice. Ran for Congress, got elected predominantly by white people. But really holding on to those Democratic Party, you know, ideals. That's why she got a point. Not because she was a strong native voice. And in fact, I was having some conversations with some folks today. The fact of the matter is, the fact that she's there has displaced us as voices. She hasn't given us a seat at her table. As far as white people are concerned, we don't need a seat at the table. There's already a native person sitting there. No, she serves at the pleasure of the president. She serves white people. She serves the United States. She doesn't serve Laguna Pueblo. She doesn't serve, you know, uh, uh, any native people anywhere. In fact, we can't get a ti- the time of day with her. The Senecas couldn't have a conversation with her about gaming. I know that there are people who are, who are trying to have a seat at the table even as they, as they try to do some of this offshore um, wind power. Now, look, I, I'm not opposed to solar and wind, uh, wind power generation. But it, too, has to be done responsibly. And one of the ways to be responsible is to have a conversation with, with the people who are associated with the land. And not just some from a 200-year-later land acknowledgement. People who are associated with the land today. Deb Hallen didn't have any conversation with the Native people. As she, even as she's showing up at these sites to, to do this wind farms. She's not meeting with the, with the Passamaquoddy or anybody else. They're, she shows up there in a ribbon dress, and there's no local Native people there. Again, I'm not going to do a whole other show picking on, on, on Deb Hallen, but... My, my point is, there are these token gestures that are done, like appointing Deb Hallen to the Interior Department. But there's also things like land acknowledgement. Look, and I'm not sta- sitting here demanding more, but I'm just saying, if you're going to do that, then maybe you need to have a native speaker at your event. And not vet their message first either. Maybe you need to make sure that we have a space. That we have a voice in your newspaper or your radio station or your television station. I mean, I don't know how many Native people are on, even on the, on the, the down channels of, uh, of, of cable TV. Free speech TV, I don't think there's any Native people. Maybe I'm, I'm working at it. Maybe I'll get on there someday. Look, I'm, I'm grateful that, that a few other programs will use me as a resource and will call me up to have me weigh in because they know that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a solidly Native position. I'm not afraid to take on the, you know, the white supremacy that the United States represents. But I also know that there are other 
media outlets who want something that somebody who's that who's going to be more appeasing. And that ain't me. And look, and it doesn't have to be me. I'm I'm saying this that when I say we need space, land back, <laughs> airtime. When I say we need space, I don't mean just me. Part of the reason I do what I do is to encourage others. Look, there are there's a, I mean there's a gen, generations of young people behind. I'm I'm in my 60s now. But there are people that are brilliant technologically advanced so far beyond where I ever where I will ever be that could do what I'm doing. But I don't know that they know that there's is this something that you can only do as a hobby? Or can you actually earn a living doing this? Because giving us a couple column inches or an interview on a radio station is not the same thing as providing space within your grid for Native Voices. And you know what? Pay us. Pay us for the job. If, when I hear somebody say that, that, that it's up to us to educate you, well, yeah, you might be right. You know, my wife once said, look, if we don't tell them how we feel, how are they going to know how we feel? And I agree. But where's the space for that? I mean, if we don't, if, if we aren't given the opportunity to educate and to explain, I mean, look, if, if you can't understand what's wrong with a native mascot, if you really can't understand that, but you want to, then give me the opportunity to explain it to you. I mean, it really comes down to a simple thing. I mean, why aren't black people used for mascots? Mexicans, Jewish people, Muslims, I don't know, not just races, but different cultures. Why are, are, why are only Native people used for mascots? It's because we are that marginalized. Everybody knows that it would be wrong to have a black person representing black people as a mascot. In spite of the, you know, the, the, the racial stereotypes associated with, with athleticism and everything else, they still know that it would be inappropriate for white people to claim to be, you know, the fighting Negroes or whatever, whatever else they wanted to use. I don't know what, I don't even know what word you would use if you wanted to have a black person for your mascot or anybody else. But when it comes to any of you, oh, we got all kinds of words you can use. You can use all kinds of inappropriate words. Indians, they, yeah, you know, the word that Columbus labeled us with. Savage. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right in the dec Declaration of Independence. Oh, yeah, happy Independence Day, folks. <laughs> How'd that go for you? How'd, how did Independence Day get celebrated in America? Oh, that's right, another mass shooting. Yeah, congratulations. Happy birthday. In the Declaration of Independence, we were called merciless Indian savages. And you know what else I got to tell you about the Declaration of Independence? One of the things that's not fully acknowledged because of the way it's crafted, one of the facts submitted to the candid world that Thomas Jefferson penned in that document was the fact that King George was not allowing the colonists to take more native land. Yeah, it's in there. You got. You have to understand it. You gotta. You have to actually have to read the damn thing, which most people have never done. Yeah, part of the the complaint was that the the king was not allowing the um, the expansion into in the native lands, which is, which is a euphemism for taking more native territory. At least not at that time. So, not only are we labeled merciless Indian savages who you know have some ruthless way of fighting, um, as if the way white people were killing people were somehow more humane. Um, but we're actually one of the reasons. And I would argue one of the primary reasons. I mean, let's think about what happened after so-called independence. The negotiated getting more land from, you know, that the, the French claimed, the Louisiana Purchase. The French got it from the Spanish and then sold it to the, to the colonists so they could take more native land. So, 
Is it, I, is, is it my job to educate? I, you know, I guess it is, and, and I don't mind doing it. But you notice I said job. I didn't say it was my hobby. So when I talk about the space that we need, some of the space that we need includes gainful employment. If you really want to know what Native people think, if you want to know about our culture, if you want to know about some true history, not just the BS that you're fed in school, then allow us to teach. So, I mean, that's, that's my commentary really about, about land acknowledgement. It's not enough. It's not nearly enough. So, if you feel compelled to do a land acknowledgement because it makes you feel good, then maybe you're viewing it wrong. Maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. Maybe it's your white privilege that's, the, uh, that's, that's pushing you to do that. Now, if you want to hold an event and part of that event is giving us space and part of the reason that you want to you, you want to justify giving a space, is the land acknowledgement, then that makes some sense to me. But if you're just doing a land acknowledgement, again, to state the obvious that you all came here and took land from us, well, then don't just, don't just stop, you know, stop with land acknowledgement. Talk about the slaves that built your cities and that died building your cities and picking your cotton and wet nursing your babies, all of that stuff. And I don't mean just black people that were enslaved. Just let me remind people that the first slaves, the first enslaved people of the United States or of, of this continent were native people. And native people, they died by the tens of thousands in the Caribbean, South America, Central America, yeah, by the tens of thousands. Look, we had populations that were wiped out to the tune of 80 to 90%. And no, it wasn't because we couldn't, we weren't hardy enough to withstand your flus and your colds and your smallpox. No, it was, it was more than that. It was about deprivation, starvation, intentionally spreading diseases amongst Native people. I'm sorry, but land acknowledgement isn't enough. And I don't know how you have a program that's addressing any other issue if you're going to do some, I don't know, just some per performative act at the beginning that never gets to the heart of the situation. So, so this, is, this is the trouble that I have. This is the problem that I have with this idea of land acknowledgement. Like I said, it's not enough. We need to do more. But like, you know, and when I, again, when we talk about more, let me mention again that I am grateful that this program is carried by WBAI and WPFW. I mean, no other station's ever given us a voice like this. And I know some of the things that I say are not real popular. I know some of the things I say, you probably hurt a little bit to some people. I know as I take on some of these mascot issues, I know how many people I piss off. I mean, I know that. So I gotta expect that some of you listening to, to me on WBAI and WPFW, they cringe. I mean, when I when I went after Crystal People Stokes for dismissing the racism that we experience because of the murder in Buffalo, the murders in Buffalo. Uh, look, I called her a black white supremacist. Why? Because she's carrying water for Kathy Hochul. So, did that rub people the wrong way? I'm sure. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. You know, and look, and I understand that part of 
our listenership in both WPFW and WBA are, are black listeners. But I got to tell you, I'm with you guys on, on civil rights issues, even though I'm not fighting for my civil rights. I'm not fighting for constitutional equality in the United States. I'm fighting for distinction. But being treated fairly doesn't mean that equality isn't sameness. You know what I'm saying? We have a lot of common, common ground. But you know what? As a Native person, I've got, I share much common ground with the vast majority of, of Americans because the vast majority of Americans are poor. Certainly they're not making what the one percenters are making. They just don't know it. They just don't know how much they're, they're being abused. And I'm, and, I, and I'm talking about white people and people of color. So I'm not against equality. I'm just not demanding equal protection under the U.S. Constitution the way some people are. But I support your, your right to do that. And the fact that I'm fighting for distinction, for autonomy and sovereignty, I'm not fighting to be superior or to have special privileges and, and, uh, and rights that you don't. I'm just saying we never gave them up to you. And this idea that this genocide continues. Oh, yeah, the residential schools is a perfect example of genocide. But there was genocide before residential schools, and there's genocide today. We still, stand, we still are losing our children to child protective services. Texas today is challenging the ICWA, Indian Child Welfare Act. And really, they've got solid ground for doing it because the federal government, when they passed ICWA, they didn't acknowledge our sovereignty and our, our right to protect our children. No, they just said that they have the right to place children with Native families, that the federal government has that right, and that the federal government's right supersedes states' rights to do it. So what's Texas and other places fighting? How are they fighting? Well, they're saying, well, there's an equal protection problem here. They're saying that Native people are being treated special within the system. Well, if you crafted the law properly, if you would acknowledge and recognize our sovereignty, you wouldn't have to parse out a special consideration for Native people within your federal powers, taking away states' powers. Instead, as a country, you would say Native people predate our existence and their right to place their children within their own communities, within their own nations, or with the other na Native peoples. Their rights supersedes our right. And that's what ICWA should have acknowledged, but it doesn't. But we're still we're fighting every day to protect our children, to save our children. We're fighting against poverty. We're fighting against depression, suicide, missing and murdered indigenous women. So again, if you're going to acknowledge that we once lived in a place and you think that that somehow honors us, I'll say it again. That's the same thing all these white folks say in these little rural towns claiming to be Cambridge Indians. That's, that's part of the problem. <clears throat> part of the problem is you don't know who we are. There's, you know, people talk about, even on, in this mascot debate, that somehow eliminating these mascots is erasure. No. Characterizing us as objects of the past, of people who once lived someplace, that's erasure. You're, in fact, much, many of these land acknowledgments, that's exactly what they are. They're acknowledging the erasure. Because they aren't giving us anything back. And I'm not talking about charity. I, I, I'm talking about, again, reconciliation, reparation. I'm not even talking about money. I'm talking about space. Where's our space? Have you seen how history books characterize us? Again, as a timestamp, this is what Indians were. And that we are a period of history that ended when white people got here. 
which is kind of what acknowledge, land acknowledgments do, right? Yeah, there were, there, were, there were native people here, and then we got here, and now they're not. And where they got moved to? Yeah, we moved them from there too. And then we moved them again. Then we took their children, and we reduced their numbers. And then we said, after forcing assimilation on them, you're not really native people anymore. You're not the same people. I mean, I, I had that debate with, with some of these mascot fools. Yeah, they'll say, well, we're not even talking about you. We're talking about warriors. You're not a warrior. We are. We're on the football field. And, and that's the crazy part is they are so full of themselves. They find nothing wrong with trying to equate playing football with being slaughtered by white people. I mean, and it's, look, I'm not saying the Native people didn't defend ourselves and that we didn't have our victories, but if you're calling yourself the Indians, what are you basing that on? Custer's last stand? Well, let me remind you, there was a massacre at Wounded Knee after that. Sand Creek Massacre took place, yeah, during the Lincoln administration. 38 Dakota were hang, hung by the neck by order of Abraham Lincoln, and they were hung a week before the Emancipation Proclamation. We can talk some history. And I know many of you hear me sometimes repeat these same events because they're horrific. And they undermine your American exceptionalism narrative because Lincoln wasn't a great emancipator. George Washington invoked the use of terrorism against Native people. Thomas Jefferson wasn't enlightened. He was as racist as any of them. He had, a, he had not only did he have slaves, but he had children with his slaves, and they were slaves. They were the house Negroes, but they were still slaves. Your founding fathers were derelicts. Your constitution not only allowed slavery and genocide, it allowed for women to be tr uh, treated as property. And this is the stuff that you, that you think you need a Supreme Court that's going to honor your originalism? I'll tell you, the United States, America, in its original form, for white people, not talking about predating white people, I'm talking about what you did It's a travesty. It's a, it's, a, it's a history of genocide. It's a history of crimes against humanity. And I would argue that, that many of those crimes continue today. The disproportionate level of death by cops that Native people and Black people experience. The prison populations. The suicide rates. The substance abuse rates. And then you pay us lip service. Not so much black people, but you, pay, but you pay us lip service. And then when some of your, your, your black folks find success in that system, you become more beholding to white supremacy than you do to acknowledging that racism still exists. And it ain't just an 18-year-old with an AR-15. Sometimes the governor extorting half a billion dollars out of the Seneca Nation. Look, I think it's really important that we have the conversations. Again, I'm not saying don't do land acknowledgments. But we need to do more. I think if you're going to do a land acknowledgement, you at very least owe it to those that you claim to be honoring with that land acknowledgement something you owe you owe us something space i mean i don't know is it a banner at your event i don't know some means to affect change don't just acknowledge that we once lived there acknowledge that we still live and you know what 
acknowledge that the lives that we're living today are severely hampered by hundreds of years of genocide. Genocide that continues today. This is important stuff, folks. And I know it's tough. I know these are tough conversations. You know, one of the biggest reasons that people are so opposed to this notion of critical race theory or even, you know, delving into the, into the uncomfortable truths of history, it has to do with, with the fear that, that white people will be made to feel guilty. And actually, I don't even think it's that. I think it's the fear that you're going to have to lose some of that privilege. And, you know, I talk about white supremacy, white privilege, and white fragility. That white fragility is the fear that not only is the, is the supremacy thing, you know, been blown apart, but the privilege part is, is starting to wane a little bit too. That's a concern. I mean, and I hear it in these people in these little towns fighting to keep their, their native mascots. But I also hear it, I hear it in land acknowledgments. There's a fragility there. And that perhaps, well, if I do this, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it'll make me feel a little bit better. I won't feel as fragile. I won't feel as, as guilty. Because that guilt is tied directly to that fragility. Again, white supremacy, white privilege, white guilt, white fragility. That's what, it's there. I mean, and when I hear people who argue and argue that, you know, oh, the native mascot thing, I don't know, that, why they're going after that, aren't there more important things? And yet, they're taking the time to weigh in on this subject. And way too much time. And you can see the anger and the frustration that they have. They are so emotionally tied to this notion of playing Indian that they can't, they, they can't let it go. Cambridge Central School is probably filing their notice of appeal. I don't know if they'll actually, you know, file the appeal, but they're filing their notice of appeal. That's, I mean, that's how embarrassing it is for some of these white folks. They just can't let go. So do your land acknowledgments, but do more, do better. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.